it's a new year. How many of you knew that? How many of you have already written a check or something? Actually, who, who writes checks still? I'm just curious in this service. Yes, I, I've, next service I'll ask and people will be like, what's, what's that? Anyway, how many of you have already messed up on your check and wrote 2019? Anybody? About two of us. All right, good, good. That's, that's all good. Hey, it's a new year and um, man, I, I love New Year's. And part of the reason I love New Year's is they're new, right? And, and there seems to be this line in the sand that we can draw and just kind of say, hey, the old is gone and the new has come. Here we are, right? And, uh, and so it could be the beginning of something new for most of us, for any of us, for all of us, or for some of us. Uh, people at this time of year are more open to what God's doing in their life than any other time of the year, which is really cool. People are looking to make changes in their lives. How many of you have already thought about some changes that you want to make in 2020? Let me see. How many of you say, forget those because, because a couple of us, right, right? And so, yeah, so if we'll listen, we'll join God with what God's wanting to do in our lives, man, I just think that 2020 can be a really great year for us. I love learning. I spend a lot of time learning. Um, I like to read books. I like to listen to some podcasts, and, uh, and, and I just enjoy learning, uh, and I always have. And so what I want to do with us for the first part of 2020 is just get really practical. And, and part of the reason I want to get practical is I want to get practical because we spent some really in-depth time last year working through some different topics, right? We started the year 2019 at Mountain View talking about uh, how small things make a big difference. How many of you remember that like a year ago? Good. 12. Wow. My percentages are going up. That is like super good, right? And then we worked through the book of Philippians and we talked about how we're all unfinished. How many of you remember that one? Oh, look at that. Now this is getting really good. This is really good. That's because it's more recent, right? Oh, a year ago. All right, then we can think last summer. And then we did this series called Messy Love. How many of you remember that series? Oh, yeah. Now, how many of you don't remember anything I say from week to week? <laughs> there, there's, there's the truth right there, right? And so uh, what I want to do is I just want to take the first part of our year here and get really practical and talk about some practical things. Um, what are some habits, for example, that we can develop? What are some small things that we can do to make a big difference? A really important question for us to ask. I want us to spend some time and, and really think about how, how messy love can be really practical for us and what ways we need to, what steps do we need to take to do that? And so we're going to do that. And, and this is all in preparation for a, a really cool Easter series, I think. And then uh, what we want to do is we want to dig into Matthew and we want to look at the Sermon on the Mount. The reason we want to look at the Sermon on the Mount is we want to prepare ourselves to do a study in Matthew 23, 24, and 25, which is kind of Jesus' series about what it's going to look like in the end, right? And so all of a sudden, some of you are like, oh, brother, and others of you are like, ooh, finally, right? He's going to talk about some of this stuff. Anyway, we're going to spend three weeks here talking about habits, why would we talk about habits? Well, it's the first of the year, right? And, and so there's habits. And so there's a couple of books about habits that I've, that I've read, that I've listened to some podcasts about. And so I just want to put a disclaimer out there, just straight out. A lot of this comes from a couple of these books that I've read and studied and these guys that I've listened to and um, just want you to know that. And so the first book that, that I'm talking about is Power of Habits by Charles Duhigg. A great book, probably the basis, foundation. If you want to create uh, habits in your life and develop habits in your life, man, pick up this book, read this book, okay? Anybody read it? Good, like two of us. 
So read this, uh, four of us. There we go. Now numbers are starting to increase a little bit. There we go. And then the other one, which is a newer one, is Atomic Habits by James Clear. And really, it's probably the more modern of the two that just really talks about uh, how to develop and create habits in your life. Make sense? Good? So I just want to put that out there. One of my favorite quotes by one of the guys that I listen to, particularly about leadership, but he's also a church pastor, is Craig Rochelle. This is what he says. Successful people do consistently what other people do occasionally. Think about that for a moment, right? Successful people do consistently what other people do occasionally. And so you think of any area of success in life, right? Think, think about the spirituality. Think about the spiritual life and the people who are successful or appear to be successful in their spiritual life. What are they doing? They're doing consistently what other people are doing occasionally, right? Everybody tracking with me, right? Think about people financially. People who seem to be really successful in the area of finances, they just seem to have everything kind of pieced together and put together. What's the difference? Well, the difference is they are probably doing consistently what other people are only doing occasionally. You're warming up. That's good. Uh, Physically, right? Physically, spiritually, emotionally, mentally, all of these things, the people who are most successful in all of these categories are doing consistently what other people are doing Good, well, you're catching on, right? Here's what it's about. It's about small things leading up to big things over time, right? It's about doing the small things consistently, small things, not necessarily big things, that literally lead to the success over time. And so I've been thinking about this. Who is successful in Scripture, right? Well, the easiest one is probably Jesus, Jesus. And Jesus of all people could have said, well, I just don't have time for that. Right? I I just can't do that right now. But what do we know about Jesus spiritually? I mean, here he is, God in the flesh on earth. And what does he do? Well, he would often say to the crowds, excuse me, I need to go be with my father. Right? We know this, Luke chapter 5, verse 16, it says this, but Jesus, what? Often. Jesus Regularly, Jesus consistently, Jesus often, what did he do? Withdraw to lonely places, and what did he do? He prayed. He prayed. Jesus, of all people, could have been somebody who said, you know what, I just don't have time to do that right now. There's too many people to be healed and too many things to deal with, and those Pharisees keep bringing me problems over and over and over again. But what did Jesus do? He did consistently what people who want to be spiritual do occasionally. You're catching on, right? What about Paul? Paul, I love what the Good News translation says. It says, according to his usual what? Habit, right? The NIV, the ESV will say custom. The Good News translation says, according to his usual, say it again. You guys, good. listen. <laughs> Work with me here. Okay? It's blue. (laughs) Good? Blue. Good, good. Say it with me. According to his usual? Wow. Exactly. Paul went to the synagogue, these during three Sabbaths, to held discussions with people, quoting and explaining the scripture, and proving from them that the Messiah had to suffer and rise again. In other words, what did he do? He went into the temple and he shared the gospel. It was his habit. 
It was his custom. He did this regularly. He didn't do it occasionally. He did it consistently, which made Paul a really successful evangelist. Everybody with me there? Good. I love what Sean Covey says. He says, our habits will make us or break us. We become what we repeatedly do. We become what we repeatedly do. Wow, think about that for a moment. If we set out this goal in 2020, I want to just be more like Jesus. What are we doing to become more like Jesus? Because we become what we repeatedly do. So show me by a raise of hands, how many of you created some New Year's resolutions? Let me see. Hands high, if you did, if you did. Wrote some down, let me see, somewhere. Thought about them at least in your head. All right, good, good. That's really good news. I think that's super good news, right? The bad news is 90% of the, 92% of those will be dropped by Valentine's Day, right? So there's really good news that we're doing it, but then there's really bad news, and the bad news is 92% of those are over by Valentine's Day. Woo! And so some of you in the room, you're like, that's exactly why I just don't make any, right? There's one hand raised. That's good. Two, three, yeah, there we go. We're getting there. I think that sometimes when it comes to thinking about who we want to become and thinking about the habits that we want to create to become the people we want to become, we feel like the Apostle Paul sometimes. Listen to this in Romans chapter 7. He says this, For I do not understand my own actions. Have you ever been there? Right? How many of you had the Christmas cookies? And you're thinking, I don't understand why I keep going back for more. Right? Why do I keep doing this? Why do I keep eating the junk food? Why do I keep procrastinating? Why do I keep overspending? Why do I keep? Why do I keep? Why do I keep? Have you ever felt like the Apostle Paul here who says, For I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate, that I don't want to do. Amen, Paul. And Paul met Jesus on the road to Damascus. Right? He's right there. He's right there in his presence. And Paul's struggling to make the changes that Paul wants to make. Look at verse 18. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, says Paul. That is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right. But I can't find the ability to actually do it. To carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Ever been there? Anybody there now? Yeah. But then what Paul does, he does what most of us do. We connect our failure to our identity. Look at this, verse 24. Wretched man that I am. And Paul does the very thing that the enemy loves to do to us. He loves to attach our failure to our identity. If I failed, then I must be a failure, right? If I'm not good at something, then I must not be good. And we do this, right? So this is what Paul says. He said, wretched man that I am, all of a sudden he connects exactly his failure to his identity. But look at the question that he begins to ask. He says this, who will deliver me from this body of death? 
And then he says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord, so then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. And I love his question. He says, who is going to help me with this? Who is going to help me overcome this? Who's going to be the one who will have an answer for this? And what is his answer? And this is exactly what Christian talked to us about last week. Who is his answer? It's Jesus, right? It's Jesus. Who can change us? All right, now you're warming up again. All right, this is, this is where you answer. Who can deliver us? Jesus can. Who can set us free? Jesus can, right? Jesus is our source and Jesus is our hope and he is our strength. Jesus literally loves to take all things that are broken and wrong and bad and make them new. This is what he's in the business of doing. Jesus is our strength and he is our healing. And it doesn't matter what you've done or where you've been. Jesus is in the business of changing us. I get really excited about that, and I hope you do too. My hope, my hope is for us to experience all that life has made available to us. That's really my hope, especially what life has been made available to us in and through Jesus and who Jesus is. And I also hope that we will live out the disciplines that lead us to this God-filled, God-ambitious, God-honoring type of life that I think he desires for all of us to live. That's my hope. Now, I'm going to be truthful. I don't like sermon series like this. And part of the reason I don't like sermon series like this is because anything I bring to you, I really try to apply in my own life. All right? And so when I do this and I prepare and I study, I have to talk to myself so that I can talk with you. I don't like sermon series like that. I would rather be on the end of like mastering these things and like being like already complete. But I come before you today saying, listen, very clearly, I'm unfinished, right? I've got some habits that because of this sermon today, I have to change. And what I want to do is I want to invite you to change with me. That's what my goal is. Here's the question I want to answer today, though Why do we fail? Why do we fail? We set out for these goals. We, we put together these dreams. We have these hopes. We have these aspirations. We even write down these resolutions. We say we're going to do these things. Why do we fail? And I think that there's really three reasons that we don't succeed at our goals and our, our, our resolutions. And the first is this. We focus on the what, but we don't understand the how. Now listen, again, these come out of Atomic Habits and out of Habits by Charles Duhigg and James Clear, all right? So, so if you want to know more about those, dig in. What I'm going to do that they didn't do is I'm going to apply this biblically. But we focus on the what, but we don't understand the how. So we focus on the action, but we don't understand how to get there. Have you ever realized that? We actually all have the similar goals. Did you know that? That if we were all to survey what our goals are this year... They're probably pretty similar. They're actually pretty accurate. They're probably about the same. And so most of us have very similar goals, but most of us have very vastly different outcomes or results, right? All of us say, you know what? I'd like to be more healthy this year. None of us say at the beginning of the year, you know what? I would really like to raise my cholesterol out of the roof. Like, I just think, you know, going to the hospital to have my cholesterol dealt with sounds really fun. Anybody? No, but don't we all have goals? Like, I want to be healthy. I want to lower my cholesterol this year. But 
But the results from person to person to person vary, right? We don't get married saying, you know what, I'm going to get married and I really hope that I just have a terrible marriage. (laughs) Do any of us set out to get married and have a terrible marriage? We don't. No, all of us have the same goal. When we get married, we want to have a, a happy marriage, a great marriage, a fulfilled marriage, right? But why are the results so different? Relationships. None of us set out to say this year, you know what, I really hope to destroy some of my relationships. That's one of my goals this year. Let me just see how many people I can destroy. Right? Does anybody set out to do that? No. We all set out in our relationships to have better relationships. So why do we fail? And what James Clear says, he says there's a difference between winners and losers and successful and unsuccessful. We all have the same goals, but we have the different results. And this is the analogy he uses. He says every sports team, every college football team in August sets out to do one thing. What do they set out to do? Win the national championship. Every one of them does. They all have the same goal, but the response and and the results are so very different. This is what I want you to understand. Goals don't determine success. Goals don't determine. Systems determine success. Systems do. And James Clare says it this way. You don't rise to the level of your goals. You fall to the level of your system. And so we set out for these goals, and we write these goals down, but we just want these goals to happen, right? We just want to turn on the boiling water or the pot of pan, and we want it to boil kind of instantaneously. Have you ever watched a pot of boiling water? The longer you watch it, the longer it seems to take. Yeah. See, we don't rise to the level of our goals. We fall to the level of our systems. And who would I think about? I immediately thought about Daniel. I love Daniel. I think Daniel was a godly man, and Daniel stood out, and he stood up against his culture and everything like that. We should model after the life of Daniel, who modeled faith, who stood out. How is it that Daniel was able to stand out among all the leaders as godly and talented and gifted and different? And why is it that when Daniel was thrown into the den of lions, because of his obedience, he was able to stand strong and he was able to trust God and he was able to to outlive on the other side? Why was it that Daniel was able to do that? And I think it's because of this. For years, Daniel had a system in place that, that forced him to live a life of faithfulness to God. And what was his system? Well, for years and years and years, he prayed three times a day. Listen to this, Daniel chapter 6, verse 10. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed against praying to anybody other than right, the king, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. And what did he do? He got on his knees three times a day and he prayed and he gave thanks before his God as he had done what? Previously. So when Daniel is faced with a tough decision. When Daniel is faced with a life and death type of decision and a God-honoring or a culture-honoring decision, and he has to make a decision and a choice, it wasn't about the moment. It was about the system that he had already created for himself that made him successful when the hard time came. Does that make sense? We don't rise to the level of our goals we fall to the level of our system. That's how it works. I want to change the results. 
I want to be more organized this year. I want to lose weight this year. I want to be out of debt this year. And the problem is we need to change the system that creates the results. If we fix what we do, then the outcomes will fix themselves. If we fix what we do, if we fix the system, the goals will be achievable. And so one of the first reasons that our goals fail is because we focus on the what, but we don't understand the how. The second reason is this. We don't see progress fast enough, right? We just don't. And there was a few years ago that I went to, I ran on the treadmill three days a week, ran, all right? If you've ever seen a big guy run on the treadmill at the gym, it's quite a sight to see. But I ran on that treadmill three days for like 30 minutes those three days. At the end of that week, I thought, man, surely I lost 20 pounds. I gained six. (laughs) Listen, you want to talk about being irritated? That'll do it to you. I didn't see results fast enough. I said, forget this. I'm not getting up at 6 o'clock to run on the treadmill to gain 6 pounds. Like I was doing just fine the way I was. But was I really? And so, so we run on the treadmill, right? We think, you know what's going to happen? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read the Bible app. I'm, I'm going to do my verse of the day every single day. And then you get in the car with the kids on the way to church Sunday. And they're, you're screaming at them. And your kids are thinking, hmm, how's that Bible app program working for you? <laughs> Right? Or you think, you know what I'm going to do? I need to get out of debt. I've got $38,000 in student loans. I need to get out of debt. And so I'm going to not buy coffee this month. And so you save a whopping $100. No longer do you have $38,000 in debt. You now have $37,900. And you haven't had coffee all month long. But what does that do to us? Right? We don't see the results fast enough, and so all of a sudden, it sabotages our goals. But this is what happens. There's, I think there's two things. First, we wrongly conclude that small good decisions don't matter that much. I think we wrongly conclude that, that small, small good decisions don't matter that much. We make the assumption, well, unless I can do it big, why do it at all? If I can't just, if I can't just pay it off now, then why would I even... Why would I even try? I mean, I'm just going to have student loan debt my entire life, so what's the point? Right? And so we wrongly conclude that small good decisions don't matter that much. And, and then there's another thing that we do. We wrongly conclude that small bad decisions don't matter that much. Because if small good decisions don't matter that much, then certainly small bad decisions can't matter that much. And so you get home from work and you decide you're going to go play video games for three hours. Your wife doesn't leave and you think, no big deal. Doesn't matter. We do this to church too. We skip church once a week or one weekend. Let me rephrase that. It didn't seem to make that big of a difference. So what does it matter? I mean, we got that half box of chocolates left from Christmas. I mean, I could just eat it right now. What... It's just once. I only have one box, and so why? What, what, is it, what does it matter? And haven't we all done this? We're like, oh, it's just once. It's just once. See, we wrongly conclude, we wrongly conclude that small good decisions don't matter that much, and we also wrongly conclude that small bad decisions don't 
matter that much. But you ask somebody, you ask somebody, hey, your life is messed up. How did it get messed up? And if you really pause and you slow down and you look back at our life and we say, how did our life get messed up? It's probably a series of really small bad decisions that finally came crashing down and the life ended up being messed up. It was a small bad decision because literally a small bad decision will rarely wreck our lives. But a series of small bad decisions will come crashing down and will destroy our lives. Over time, it will add up and add up and add up. And so maybe we want to get a godly life, right? We want to live a godly life. We want to live like Jesus, right? And so what do we have to do? We have to make small good decisions, daily good decisions to help us move to that place. And this is the deal, by the way. When you make small good decisions, nobody sees it. Nobody knows what you go through to be able to make those small good decisions, right? Nobody sees the hard work. Nobody sees the discipline. Nobody sees the sacrifice. Nobody sees the faithfulness. Nobody sees these good decisions. But this is the deal. We have to understand that good decisions aren't being wasted. Good decisions are being stored up. And as they're being stored up, at some point, they'll be brought to realization. See, it's the things that no one sees that brings the results everybody wants. That's the trick. It's the things that nobody sees that brings the results that everybody actually wants to see in us. It's the hard work and it's the sweat that nobody can see. You know, when we see a movie, there's been 20 hours of film taken to get us to that hour and a half or two hour movie. Three hours if you go before previews were over. And this is, this is real stuff. Nobody sees, nobody sees when you're trying to overcome self-doubt. Nobody sees when you're failing and when you have to start again. And nobody sees when you're on your knees praying and when you're sacrificing, when you're enduring the criticism. And nobody sees the early mornings or the late nights the grind, the persistence, the private price that it costs, the small, consistent disciplines to get you the outcome that you want. And it reminds me of Galatians 6, 9. I love what Paul says in Galatians. He says, and let us not grow weary of doing good. Let us keep on keeping on. Let us keep going. Let us keep doing. Let us keep, don't give up. Don't give in. Keep going. Keep going. Because what's happening is these small good decisions are being stored up. And at some point, all of it will be realized, right? So he says that, let us not grow weary in doing good. For in due season, we will reap if we don't give up. If we don't give up, if we don't give in, if we keep going, if we keep going. So the three reasons that we don't succeed. First, we focus on what, but don't understand the how. Second, we don't see progress fast enough. And third, our distorted identity sabotages our success. Now, this is where it gets personal for me. And it did it happen to Paul. Paul seemed to mess up, and so he said, man, I'm a wretched man which became his identity. Our enemy, he connects our failures to our identity. I failed, therefore I am a failure. I didn't do it right, therefore I'm not good at it, which means I must be a miserable person. I mean, even Paul said this. Paul said, man, I'm educated, I'm learning, I've got all these things right, but guess what? I'm no good. 
I'm no good. Moses did this. Remember what Moses did? God calls Moses. And what is Moses' excuse? I can't talk, right? Exodus 4.10, but Moses said to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I'm not eloquent. I can't possibly help you do the thing that you want to do in freeing us, the Israelites, from Egypt. Because I don't, I'm not eloquent enough. I can't talk. Right? Either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. It kind of defines who he is. Judges 6.15, do you remember this guy? Remember Gideon? He says, and he said to him, please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest. I come from the weakest family. How in the world can I do the things that you want me to do when I come from the weakest family? And this is what we do. We do the same thing. We say, well, this is just the way I am. This is just the way I am. Just the way I am. Anybody ever said this? I mean, maybe, maybe you have an addictive personality. And so you say things like this. Well, I just have an addictive personality. So I'm just going to have a drink. Right? We just define this is who I am. This is who I am. Uh, so I do it. I'm not good with money. And everybody knows I'm not good with money. And so I'm just going to go to Target and... Spend away, make myself feel better because I'm not good with money. I'm not organized. I'm not good with relationships. This is just what happens. Have you ever defined yourself and just said, well, this just is the way it's going to be? It's just who I am. We've wrongly given ourselves an identity which actually sabotages our success. See, an unhealthy, an unhealthy identity creates unwise habits. Unwise habits reinforce an unhealthy identity. Do you see the spiral? And do you see the circle we get ourselves in? I'm not good with money, and so I've charged up one credit card. I'll just go get another one. I'm just whatever, whatever. I'm just whatever you've labeled yourself and identified. And so it gives us this downward spiral. Well, then we just continue what we've been doing because this is our identity and I don't know who I am outside of that. So this is a true story. This is vulnerable for me. I started a weight loss thing about a little, we're uh, going on almost two years ago. Lost about 60 pounds. Went to Africa last March or February whenever we went came home, realized, uh, I don't know who I am 60 pounds lighter. I've always been big. I don't know who I am not bigger. I'm still big, but bigger. Guys, it, it threw me in a tailspin. This one's personal to me because you know what it did? It sabotaged. And I went, well, I've always been big, and I'm just going to be big, and so I'm just going to do what I've always done. Because always what I've done has given me the results that have gotten me where I'm at. But, but the identity had to change. The identity has to change. We have to think different. And so I want to ask you to do something this year. All right, I'm going to ask all of us to do this. Every single one of us. I want us to start 2020 with a who goal. 
A who goal, all right? I'm gonna try to say this. A who goal. In other words, what I want us to do is I want us to ask the question, who do I want to become? Who do I wanna become? Because that's how we need to set our goals. We need to not think about what we wanna do. We need to think about who we want to become. How do you want people to describe you? I wanna be a great man of God. I I wanna be clean and sober maybe. I I wanna be a godly mom or a dad or a spouse. I wanna be financially free. I wanna be a bold witness for Jesus. I wanna be a healthy person. Who do you want to become is the first question that we have to ask ourselves. Why? Because our identity begins to shape our actions. We'll begin doing the things that will help us get to be the people that we want to become. Why? Because we always ask the wrong question first. We set out the goal without thinking about the system that we want to put into place. When we know who we are, we will know what to do. Why? Because we get to ask a different set of questions. Well, what does a godly man look like, and what does a godly man do? And if I want to become a godly man, I'm going to do the things that a godly man does. If I want to be a healthy person, then I'm going to look for a healthy person. I'm going to look what a healthy person does, and I'm going to do the things that a healthy person does. Right? If, if I want to be clean and sober, then I'm going to look to somebody who's clean and sober, and I'm going to become clean and sober. I'm going to do the things that a clean and sober person does. Four of us are catching on. One of the challenges is some of us might come in here and think, you know what, I'm good. I'm good. There's nothing really for me to work on. Again, our identity sabotages our success. If you've walked in here and you've actually thought, I'm good, I don't need to do anything. I've done it all. (laughs) I've done the hard work. And you might need this message more than anybody else. The do overflows from the who. This isn't a Dr. Seuss book, by the way. <laughs> the do overflows from the who. Here's the difference. Let me explain. I was talking to somebody not long ago, and they said, you know what, I'm really trying to quit smoking. I'm trying to quit cigarettes. I'm trying to stop smoking. I don't want to smoke anymore. And so somebody comes up and says, hey, would you like a cigarette? And the person says, you know what? I'm trying to quit. I'm trying to quit. Well, what are they saying? I'm I'm a smoker who's trying to stop smoking. And what James Clear would say is, no, don't say that. What you want to say if you're trying to quit smoking is, no, thanks. I'm not a smoker anymore. Do you see the difference between the two? See, what happens is it says, no, thank you, I'm trying to quit. It still identifies that I'm a smoker who's trying to quit. But, but if I'm really trying to quit, then I identify as I'm no longer a smoker. I'm not smoking anymore. I'm no, more, no longer smoking. Are you with me? And so this is what we need to do. Maybe we think, well, I, I, I just change. Why can't I just change? I love what Paul says in chapter 6. Listen to this, Romans chapter 6. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Verse 17 says this, but thanks be to God that you were once slaves of sin 
and have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, you've become slaves of righteousness. Man, I love this. I love this. And the reason I love this is it's the opposite of the phrase I told you earlier. See, healthy identity, healthy identity will help us create positive and healthy habits. And positive habits will reinforce our healthy identity. And what happens is so often we come into this place and we think, well, I am just fill in the blank. And God knows that I'm just fill in the blank. While God is saying, don't you understand I've died for that? Don't you understand that I sent my son to overcome that? See, who am I? Who am I? I am a child of God. Who am I? I am forgiven. Who am I? I am redeemed and I am loved and I am set free from the power of sin in my life. Who am I? Yeah. And we need to start redefining who we are by the standard of God. And not by the standard of the struggle that we have or the addiction that we have or the habit that we have. We need to be overcome by who Jesus is and what Jesus accomplished on the cross so that we can be motivated and encouraged to become the people that God actually wants us to become. Are you who God wants you to be right now? And if not, who do you believe God wants you to be? to be. Who are you? And so in 2020, I just want to challenge you. I want to challenge you to ask the question, what would the person I want to be do? What would the person I want to be do? So seriously, grab something. Grab a piece of paper. Grab a pen. Grab your phone and open your notes section if you have to. Grab your Bible and find a page somewhere in there. Just maybe turn to page 2020 in your Bible. And write down one thing. Who who do I want to become? Next couple of weeks, we're going to talk even more practically about how to do this. But Paul figured it out. Paul says, why do I keep on doing the things I don't want to do? (laughs) I'm a wretched man. But because of Jesus, I'm not wretched. I'm free. Because of Jesus, I'm forgiven. Because of Jesus, I'm loved. Because of Jesus, man, what are you? So we're going to sing this song. And take a couple of moments. Ask yourself the question, who do I want to become? And then this week, start doing the things that those people do. And make sure that in your identity, you acknowledge who he says you are as a part of it.